0: We are in a series called Regift, and what we're talking about is the fact that God has given us these great gifts, these great promises of, of peace and of hope, and of joy, and of love. And our job is not to just receive them. The, the kingdom of God, which we'll be talking about quite a bit this morning, is not a consumeristic kingdom. It's not just what what, what can I get out of it? What do I get? It's what do I get that I can then give? And so what we've been talking about each week is this idea that we receive the peace of Christ so that when we show up in a non-peaceful situation, we become a source of peace through the peace that Christ has given to us. That we've been given hope in Jesus Christ. And so when we show up into a situation where there's no hope, we become brokers of hope. So we become the people who insert hope into it because we've been given so much. The reason we called it re-gift, it's like, you know, if you've ever gotten uh, something for Christmas and then someone gives you another thing for Christmas and now you have two and you're thinking to yourself, well, what am I going to do with that? Sometimes, uh, if you're crafty, uh, you'll take the one you don't need and you'll package it up and go, this would be good for somebody else. This would be good for this person or that person. And it benefits you too because you don't have to buy a gift. But it's the same way we say, man, I've been given all this joy. I've been given all this joy from the Lord. Like, what? How can I, how can I give this away? I have, I have too much. And this is what we've been talking about. And this morning, we're going to be talking about love. And we might be talking about it in a little different way than you're used to. Um, because we're going to be talking about um, the people that we love the most, we're the most patient with in times of conflict. In times of not seeing eye to eye. And I don't know if you've ever um, uh, raised children. Um, but, uh, and God bless you if you have. But most of the time you're trying as, a, as an adult, believe it or not kids. Uh, sometimes the parents actually do know better. Uh, and, uh, and so, the, the, you, you know, have you ever talked to a little kid and you're trying to explain to them saving, <laughs> right? And they're looking at you like, saving sounds like the dumbest thing in the whole wide world. If you have money, you spend money. Like that's just why you have money. You have money to spend money. And if you try to tell them, no, 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 no. No, you got to understand. Saving is super important. And if you start young, it, it, it's even more important because you start these these um, habits of saving. Now you won't, you'll look at money differently. You, 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 you'll you look at money as just a tool that 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 uh, you, you use, not that's something that uses you or owns you. And so you try to tell your kid this and it's like impossible. And so I have the... I have this flashlight here. This is the flashlight that's uh, right next to my bed. So just in case anyone wants to come into my uh, house at night, you'll get one of these in the noggin. Uh, but um, actually, it's just so when I have to get up and use the restroom, I can see what I'm doing. So, um, but anyway, it, it, it's kind of like this. If I, if I have this flashlight on, I, I won't do it to you because it's, it's annoying. But if I shine this in your eyes... <laughs> I'm enlightened. I have the light, and if I shine it into your eyes, it takes you a while. Your first thing is like, "What?" It's like it doesn't make any sense. It's, It's like it's like blinding because your eyes haven't adjusted to the light, and this is the same with when we talk about the kingdom of God, which just sounds like this big, lofty idea. But see, oftentimes we're so concerned with the things we see, the things that are right there that we've been, our eyes have adjusted to non-enlightenment, to the darkness, the Bible might say. And darkness doesn't necessarily mean evil. It just means that you're operating in a different um, perspective. You're operating with a different lens than what Jesus would have you operate in. Jesus wants to bring, get this everything into the light. He wants you to live a life that he would live if he were you. He wants you to be the wife he would be if he was a wife, the husband he would be if he was a husband, the father he would be if he was a father. He wants to enlighten you. And oftentimes it's very difficult for us to see that because we're so used to the perspective that we've had our whole lives. And we oftentimes want to bring Jesus in to control the things we can't control. And then thank you very much. I'll control the things that I can control. So it's like, hey, I got my finances. I'm going to control those. Jesus, you handle that healing over there because I'm not really good at that. So you take care of that. I'll take care of the finances. And Jesus takes his light And he says, oh, finances? And he points him right at it. And you go, ah, I I don't want to have anything to do with that. Well, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a a guy in the Bible uh, who came to Jesus at night. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means and why it's important to ask Jesus a question or to confront Jesus. Because what's happened is we're very early in the book of John. And what Jesus has done is he's caused a scene. He, he has shown the light on, on uh, the structure that has been uh, built by the Pharisees as it relates to sacrifice in the temple. Well, what would happen is you'd go to Jerusalem and you would have a sacrifice for your sins. There would be an animal that would be killed for your sins. Now, they didn't just take all these animals and stack them up in a huge pile, okay? The, the meat was used, everything was used, but that would be the sacrifice for your, for your sins. And if you were poor... Maybe you could only afford two doves. That's it. You would have to make sure those doves were were spotless. And so the temple, the Pharisees started this racket where where you could only buy the doves from them. And they jack up the price. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been to Angel Stadium? And you wanted to buy a hot dog. And so you stand in line, you stand in line. Now you and I both know how much a hot dog really costs, okay? We know even with the bun and even if you put relish, I don't even like relish, but when I go to a ballpark, I put everything I possibly can to get as much money out of it as I possibly can. I don't even like relish. I got it stacked up. I'm just like, I'm going to use it like $5 worth of relish. So you you pay for this hot dog and the hot dog's like $14,000 for this hot dog. And you know it's not, it doesn't cost that much. This is what they were doing in the temple. A dove might only be two cents, and they're charging a buck. So Jesus goes into the temple, and he's so angry because what they're creating is a barrier to God. And everybody was just walking around. This is just the way it goes. And Jesus shows up with his flashlight, and he starts pointing it in people's eyes, the people who were exchanging money, and they were doing these high exchange rates. And he just starts, he goes off. He just starts knocking the tables over, bringing light into the darkness, bringing light into a situation that people just accepted. And this is what he does. Unfortunately, he will come into your life, and he will begin overturning the systems that you have maybe had in place for years to say, this isn't the way it's going to be. So that's where we find Jesus. He had just done this. And so we see this in John chapter 3. In verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him. Now, I'll give you for a bunch of all of you nerds out there that like this kind of Bible stuff. Uh, it, it's, it's when John talks about at night, he's not just talking about it being night. Now it was, and Nicodemus was a real person, and this actually happened. But John could have used a bunch of different examples as he was writing this, a bunch of different conversations, because John saw all the conversations, and he could have inserted any conversation he wanted to at this point. But what John does, and this is for all you geeks, it's, it's, it's called Johannian, which means written by John. Right? Isn't that cool? You, just you went to seminary today. That was free. I didn't cost you anything. Johannian, right? So, what John does is he'll put these things at night or all these different concepts in there. What John is also trying to get is not only is he coming at nighttime, but that he's coming from a perspective of darkness. He's coming from a perspective of an old way of thinking. And so he comes to Jesus non enlightened. Does that make sense? This is what he does. Now, he also comes at night because he is part of the people who are in power. And what the Pharisees' job was, and especially these rulers like Nicodemus, was to be a go-between between Rome and the people and the Jews. And as long as there was safety, as long as there was no uprisings, everything was cool, everything was fine, Rome would pay them pretty well to keep this peace going. And they would also, if the people were having this astir, they would say, listen, don't worry about it. You know, I'll go talk to dad. And then they would go and they would talk to Rome and say, listen, you know, we know you're in charge and everything, but if you could just do this or that. And so they would keep peace. Well, you can imagine how uncomfortable Nicodemus would be if all of a sudden somebody starts turning over tables in the temple. That is an uprising. That's the type of thing Rome didn't want. So Nicodemus is taking a huge risk coming to Jesus. He comes at night and he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. (laughs) Okay? Now, this is funny because Jesus... um, knows all things, and uh, I wonder how Jesus responded to this first part of the sentence. Oh, as a teacher, is that how I've come? I've come from God as a teacher. Hmm. Well, please continue. I'd love to hear your theory on why I'm here. And so Nicodemus does. He says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says, oh, God is with me. Okay. Uh, That's not the prepositional phrase I would use, but uh, thank you. That's awfully nice for you to notice. How about this? God is me. (laughs) I'm God in the flesh, okay? Now, he doesn't say that. He just goes straight to the root of the issue. Nicodemus is in darkness, and Jesus doesn't, doesn't have any small talk he doesn't have anything to say like, "Well, that's awfully kind." You know, you know. Hey, don't worry about it. I'll keep this just between you and me. He just goes, "Bam." He turns on the light, and here's what he says: Jesus answered to him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." To which Nicodemus is like, "I beg your pardon." <laughs> I said, remember what I said. I said, "You're super cool. Love your teaching." I know God's with you. And you said you must be born again. Now, for those of you who haven't been around church very long, or this whole thing is new to you, or you've probably heard this term born again. It's used by, uh, you know, sometimes you'll see it on bumper stickers and all, 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 all that stuff by somebody who's driving way too slow. And, uh, <laughs> and so you're like, oh yeah, I don't like those born again people. <laughs> they, they, they can't drive. Uh, but so, so you, you've probably heard that. And, 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 and part of the problem with terms like this is that we, we take them and we hijack them. And we keep them and the church will use them. And we lose the original idea of what was actually happening. It loses its teeth. It loses its power. To be born again is not some term That defines a day when you raised your hand and you said, dear Jesus, come into my heart. That's not what Jesus wants. Although, I'm going to give you that opportunity at the end of service today. What Jesus wants is you. Like a new you. A complete you. All of you. You need to be born again. Now, the reason this is so important to Nicodemus It's because in Nicodemus's non-enlightened state, in the darkness that he was in, he believed that when he was born a Jew, he was saved. He was in. He was in the family. He made it. Thank goodness he wasn't like one of those tax collectors or sinners. I'm in. I was born a Jew. I made it. And his whole structure is this. I was born into God's people. God's people are now occupied by Rome. God had uh, promised a Messiah that would come. That would be born from the line of David. That would come and in their terms ride in on a horse. Lead the army of Israel. Cast out Rome. And we would be in the place we were supposed to be. God with his people and his people with God. I'm in. I was born in. I made it. And Jesus comes in and he goes, Nicodemus, hello. And Nicodemus is like, oh my goodness, that's bright. You need to be born again. Here's what Nicodemus says. Because Nicodemus is non-enlightened at this point. He's thinking about uh, from a different perspective. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot be enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can (laughs) he? Like, Jesus, I've seen you do a whole bunch of, like, wacky stuff already. I'm not signing up for that one, okay? I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm not doing that, all right? He's like, what, it doesn't make any sense. The, The light's too bright. It's too, it's too much for me to handle right now. And Jesus says this incredible statement afterwards in verse 5 that that begins to try to shine the light to Nicodemus to get him to rethink where he's coming from. And this is the same thing that he has for you and I. This idea of being born again. This idea of, of, of a radical shift in thinking about your past About thinking about your future. About thinking about your present. This radical idea. Of being made new. Completely new. Being born again. To start over. Some of us. In this room. Online. However we're listening to this. You can look back at your childhood. At your family of origin. And you might be thinking to yourself, I wish I could be born again. I wish I could be born into a family that didn't have the dysfunction that our family had. I wish I could be born into a a situation that wasn't in poverty. I wish I could be born into a situation where that family member wasn't in my life ever. The reality is you can be born again. You can have renewed life. You might not be able to get rid of all those memories. You might not be able to get rid of the facts of your birth. But as Christ begins to shine the light on different areas of your life. As you begin to hand those over to him. Things begin to change. Jesus answered. Truly, truly, I say to you. I say, uh, unless one is born of water and the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, again. Kingdom of God language is difficult for us to understand or to comprehend because we live in a physical flesh and blood world. And so the idea that there's another kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, for those of us who watch the science channel, are probably like, I don't really know about that. Because we, we just can't conceive of it. And so, scholars go back and forth about what did Jesus mean by being born of water? Does that mean, you know, the actual birth process? Does it mean baptism? You have to be baptized first and all this kind of stuff. Pick whatever you want. It doesn't matter. That's not the point Jesus is trying to make, okay? It's being born of the Spirit, It's being led and uh, controlled and guided by the Holy Spirit. You need to be born of spirit. You need to fully give yourself over to the authority and light of Christ. Then you will begin to see the kingdom of God. Now, kingdom of God language, again, oftentimes we think of heaven, which is great. You want to go. Okay, trust me. Uh, Right? But that's not just it. It's not just a destination. It's this process of living our lives fully, the way we were supposed to be fully living our lives. And this idea of water and spirit wouldn't have been foreign to Nicodemus. And so to to us, we think that Jesus just pulled this out of a hat and Nicodemus is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But Nicodemus would have read uh, the prophet Ezekiel and he would have been familiar with this. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Even in the Old Testament, God was using this type of language. A new you. Fully committed to to your heavenly father. Ezekiel goes on. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Be careful to keep all my laws. I will give you a flashlight that you will be able to guide your steps with. That's what happens. Jesus continues to Nicodemus. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. He goes on. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it came from, where it comes from, and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is so encouraging. For those of you who've been followers of Jesus for a long, long time or just a short amount of time, we don't have to be able to explain everything as we talk about the kingdom of God in our lives. We don't have to be able to be a scholar or be whatever. That, that you, the, the Spirit of God is moving. He's moving in my life. He's moving in your life. He's moving in this church. And so we have to know where it comes from or where it's going or whatever. And it's just this new way, this new perspective of being born again, about having a different viewpoint. Nicodemus says what we would say. How can these things be? <laughs> Nicodemus is still squinting at the light. He still doesn't understand. He's like a little kid when you're trying to explain him. But that's the kingdom of God. It's, 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 it's the upside down, okay? It's like, it's like the, the, the world we don't see. And oftentimes, it's hard for us to wrap our head around. I'll give you an example. If you came to me and you said, John, I'm very anxious about my finances. I'm, 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 I think about them all the time. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I, 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 don't, I don't know... I just don't, I just, I worry all the time about my finances. What should I do? I'd say, give. And you'd go, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. No, 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 no. The kingdom of God principle is to be free in your finances is to give. That way it doesn't have a hold on you. Because what you're describing right now is finances have a hold on you. And the re- way you get out of that stronghold is by Giving. And you go, man, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Why? Because your eyes haven't adjusted to the light. If you said to me, John, I'm so angry at my fill-in-the-blank boss, uncle, whatever. They hurt me. What should I do? How do I get over this? I'd say, forgive. And you'd go, forgive? Just let them off the hook? No, not necessarily let them off the hook. But just Just mark it as paid. The debt has been paid. They don't owe you anything anymore. You've forgiven that debt. And you go, man, I don't get it. Now, I'll give you an example. We'll see how this... I've done this before. I don't know if this is going to work. But back in the 80s and 90s, they had these things called stereograms. And uh, they, they were just basically a bunch of dots. And they'd come in these big books. And if you unfocus your eyes, you'll be able to see... You ever seen these things? Right? They used to have like at the mall, like an entire store dedicated to stereograms, okay? If you owned one of those stores, my apologies. Uh, they're, they're gone now. But stereograms still exist. And, and, and so, but it, to me, it was like the best example of what it's like for those people operating in full kingdom uh, mode. They see what's not there. So here's a stereogram, all right? Now, I'll give you guys, whoever can tell me I, what that is. Oh, sorry. Can you see? Okay. Well, you guys won't get the Starbucks card. But if whoever, whoever, this is, this is the right side. Whoever can tell me what's there first, I'll, get you, I'll give you a Starbucks card. So, what? Okay. Well, then you don't get a Starbucks card. Okay. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just this side. Anybody? Can anyone see it? No, it's not a dog. No, it's, it's, a, it's a bust of Tom Brady. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. I've lost the entire sermon right now. Is, anybody? Yeah, it looks wavy. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll post it. I'll post it on my Instagram. I think you'll probably be able to see it in a, in a, on a computer a little better. And for those of you on Facebook... It's better when you're here. Uh, (laughs) It's the Starship Enterprise. (laughs) Trust me, it is. Now listen. (laughs) Oh, I see it, yeah. Which way is it facing, if you can see it so great? (laughs) You can see it? Okay. Oh, okay. All right, well, I'm related to you. I can't give you... Oh, you did draw a picture of it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I can't have the church give you a Starbucks card, but I'll give you one. Okay, go. But see if I, if I if you can't see it you can't see it. I could tell you all day long look hey eyes over here guys okay you're not going I'm going to get it off of here cuz you're not, you're not paying attention now. I could tell you till I'm blue in the face it's the starship enterprise and you'd go I think he's lost his mind. This is a life with Christ. He's constantly going, shining the light. You can't see that? You can't see that? Come on. It's right there. It's right there. Keep looking. Keep trying. Keep going. You got this. And then all of a sudden, you give or you forgive or you take a risk or you begin to say, you know what? I'm not going to strive anymore for my own pleasure or my own thing. And all of a sudden, you go, I can see the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus. He says, how can these things be? Starship Enterprise. Paul says it this way. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part. But then I will know. Listen to this. This is so cool. Fully. Just as I also have been fully known. Your heavenly father knows you fully. And he holds up this stereogram of your life and says, this is what I want it to look like. And you go, that's exactly what it does look like. It's a mess. And he says, no, 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 no. I want you to look past that mess and it will come into view. So Jesus answers Nicodemus, poor Nicodemus, trying to get it, get, you know, his, his stuff going. He says, are you not a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? And Nicodemus is like, No, I do not understand these things at all. You're talking gibberish. You're talking about being born again. You're talking about the wind going here and there. You're talking about the being born of the Spirit, all this kind of stuff. I I I don't get it. Jesus responds with this, this awesome language of trying to get us to get to the place where we're looking past our flesh, looking past our circumstances. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of things we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. In other words, you don't really like me and the disciples. You don't like us hanging around with sinners. You don't like us hanging around with tax collectors. We pull heads of grain off of wheat during the Sabbath, and you have all your codes, and we don't follow your codes. And he says, if I told you earthly things you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then he says something that would have gotten him in big trouble if it wasn't at night and it was just Nicodemus. He says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Here's what he's saying to Nicodemus. Hey, that's heaven. heaven? Right? This is is language where they would pick up stones to stone him. He's saying, hey, listen. Okay, Nicodemus, I'm going to wrap all this up for you. Everything I've been talking about, wind, spirit, born again, all this kind of stuff. It's me. It's me. I'm the one who you should look at. I'm the one who you should be following. I'm it. I am God in the flesh, as weird as it is. And we'll be talking about it tomorrow night, at, uh, just briefly at our uh, uh, Christmas Eve service. And I'd love for you to be there. The sanctuary looks beautiful. It's just a great time to just take a breath and focus in on why we're here. And so Jesus uses this language of like, who, no one's descended from heaven except me. I'm it. And Nicodemus wouldn't have been able to understand this, so Jesus reaches back into the Old Testament. He reaches back into something he knows Nicodemus will know. He reaches back to a story of the Exodus when God released his people from slavery in Egypt. Nicodemus has probably taught this section of scripture in the synagogue 50 times. He says this, as Moses Lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And what he does, he tells us there's a story in the Bible. When they're coming out of Egypt, there's basically this cycle that happens with the people of Israel that happens to you and me. We cry out to God. We say, God, fix the situation. He fixes it. We get comfortable, and then he needs to get our attention again. And then we go, oh, Lord, help. He helps. He fixes it. We lose focus. He gets our attention again. And that was it. And so the people of Israel come out, and they're, they're grumbling, and they're doing all this stuff. So God sends these little snakes into the desert. Ah, I don't like snakes. And, uh, and, and if they bite you, you die. Okay, you're thinking, wow, that would get my attention. You get sick and you get all this kind of weird, weird, weird stuff going on and you just have this short amount of time and, th- and then you die. And so um, he, that, that's what he does to kind of get their attention. And, and uh, they're like these poisonous snakes. I am so thankful. Thank you, Lord, for placing me in 2018 and not uh, in the desert. Uh, I don't even like snakes. It, like, people tell me they own a snake. They're like, don't worry, it, it doesn't bite. I'm like, that's all it does. Like, it's just a giant mouth. I mean, that's what a snake is. Like, all it does is bite. It doesn't do anything else. It doesn't sing. Okay, right? Like, that's what the mouth is for. Anyway, uh, I digress a little bit. So, so they'd get bit by these snakes. Now, here's the wacky thing about about being in the darkness, about about allowing our flesh, ourselves, our self-centeredness, our self-focus, all these things to to consume us. They would get bitten by the snake and they'd they'd be enraged by this and they wouldn't look at the snake on the pole. If you looked at it, you'd be healed. But they were like, I'm not not doing, I'm not, I'm so angry at God. And so people would, look at the snake, you're healed. Look at the person next to them, they got healed, they wouldn't do it. And so through their stubbornness, through their, 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 through their darkness, through their unenlightened state, it would cost them everything. And Jesus says this, just like that, just like that, there's going to come a time when I'm going to be lifted up. And if you would just look at the sacrifice for the cross And if you would just be born again, if you would just say, okay, what I'm doing, how I'm living, how I'm working out, this whole thing is not working. God, I give you authority over my life. I just ask you to forgive my past and I'm ready to follow you forever. That is salvation. Not just to go to heaven, but to experience the kingdom of God here on earth. And then after this verse comes the most famous verse probably in the whole world. And it's kind of weird because the Bible is written, you know, we, we've, it's in English obviously, the one we're reading. But when it was written in Greek, there was no quotation marks. So you don't know where one thing's starting and one thing's ending. And so scholars argue about is this next verse, John inserting a commentary, which he did In the very beginning of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That was John's commentary. Nobody said that. Is he now doing it again? Because John was very interested in you coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ. John was very interested in this. He inserts it all throughout his book, his letter. And so so we don't know if it's John or Jesus. Now, here's the great news. Who cares? It was either Jesus said it, and John wrote it down, or the Holy Spirit inspired John to write it. It doesn't doesn't make any difference, but here's what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, and that eternal life starts now, not when you die. Our lives right now are not holding patterns for heaven. They're not just like, well, I've been sanctified and redeemed and I'm ready to go. No. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a process. This is a journey. It was really cool. Nicodemus gets this, I mean, this was just like a... If I had another example, this wouldn't be a light. It would be a fire hose. (laughs) And they're like, Nicodemus shows up with a little cup. Like, oh, I'd like some water. And Jesus is just like, you know, he's got like this big thing of water. But I don't think this was just for Nicodemus. I think Jesus very well knew that this document was going to be around for 2,000 years for us to be reminded of, for us to study, for us to contemplate. What does your life look like? To be born again. And for you Christians. Who've been Christians for a very, very, very long time. One of the problems we have. As believers. Who know Jesus. Is we think we're not coming to him at night anymore. We think we know it. We think we've got it. We think we understand the Bible. We think we got got it all down. But everybody. Everybody. Me. Anybody. Maybe maybe not Billy Graham. He actually had it. Okay. So he's gone now but he 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 would have it didn't apply to him we all come to him at night we all come to him with a lens our lens and he wants to shine that light and go no 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 no, you don't need to think that way anymore you don't need to act that way anymore as the worship band comes back up Nicodemus shows up later in chapter seven and he uh all the Pharisees are getting together, and they're just like pacing around. That, we got to do something about this Jesus. We got to do something about this Jesus. And uh, Nicodemus raises his hand. So he's, he's, he's in this group of power. These power brokers, and he's part of it. And he says, "Are we? Are we certain that we should be against this Jesus? See this." This light that Jesus shone in his eyes, he is beginning to adjust to it. He's beginning to contemplate it. He's beginning to, to process it all. He's beginning to try to figure out, what, what does Jesus mean? And I'll bet he's been watching Jesus from a distance. And he's been listening to the stories. And he's been saying, what does what, 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 what this mean, this kingdom of God language? And then when Jesus dies... Look what happens in, verse, in chapter 19. Nicodemus, who had first come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds weight. I believe Nicodemus got it. He brings these things to bury Jesus. And what Nicodemus will find out three days later from there, that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah, that he conquered fear, he conquered death, When he rose again. For us. I want to give us an opportunity. To make a decision. To follow Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian for 20 years. 40 years. Last week. I've prayed this prayer. That I'm going to lead us in. I don't know. I think I might have prayed it yesterday. (laughs) I don't know when it stuck with me or when it actually, like if it's a secret formula, I don't know when it worked. Um, But the prayer of salvation is not a magic formula. It's a daily, hourly, minutely commitment to follow Jesus. It's discipleship. And so I just want to invite you, all of us, if you want. To say a prayer of salvation, to say a prayer of, of humility, a prayer that just says, God, I, I, I know that I've blown it. I know that I, I'm, I've, I've been too self-centered. I, I want to be born again. I want to start over. I want to follow you with all that I have. I want to be able to experience the kingdom of God at work and on the freeway and in my home wherever I go. And so you can pray this out loud. You can pray it by yourself. You can do whatever. I'm, I'll, I'll say a phrase and you can repeat after me. Um, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for being the light. Forgive my darkness, expose my darkness. I make a commitment today to follow you for the rest of my life by your power, by your grace, by your goodness. Thank you for saving my soul. In your name, amen.